Hi, I'm Cleveland Clankley, and you are listening to ADA Live. Yo. Alright, let's roll. Let's go. Hello, everyone. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, welcome to ADA Live. I am Pam Williamson, Assistant Project Director of the Southeast ADA Center. Listening audience, if you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, also known as the ADA, you can use the online form anytime at adalive.org or call the Southeast ADA Center at 404-541-9001. All calls are free and confidential. According to the Department of Justice, a significant number of individuals with disabilities spend their day receiving public services in sheltered workshops and facility-based day programs. In a report titled Beyond Segregated and Exploited, the National Disability Rights Network, also known as NDRN, estimates that over 400,000 people are sent to sheltered workshops where they earn less than the federal minimum wage. This environment results in stigmatization and a lack of economic independence. These settings segregate individuals from the community and provide little to no opportunity to interact with people without disabilities other than paid staff. Based on an incorrect belief that people with disabilities need to get ready to go to work, Putting individuals with disabilities in segregated work settings is often highly regimented and typically offers no opportunity for advancement. Most segregated programs, like sheltered workshops or day activity centers, are publicly funded. These segregated programs may include services that are available through multiple state agencies and funding streams, including vocational rehabilitation, Medicaid, and education agencies. A study by the Collaboration to Promote Self-Determination and the Rutterman Family Foundation illustrated that sheltered workshop programs cost taxpayers on average of $45,684 versus $19,101 for supported employment services. The Department of Justice implements the integration mandate of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which requires public entities to administer services, programs, and activities in the most integrated setting appropriate to the needs of qualified individuals with disabilities. The ADA's integration mandate makes clear that public entities must provide reasonable modifications to policies, practices, and procedures to avoid discrimination. On October 31st, 2023, the Department of Justice issued guidance that the integration mandate applies to sheltered workshops and day centers, putting them in violation of the ADA and the Olmstead decision. In this episode, we will discuss the most recent guidance on the ADA's integration mandate and the Olmstead decision and its application to employment and day services for people with disabilities. 
I'm happy to welcome our guest today, Julie Kegley, who is the staff attorney and program director of the Georgia Advocacy Office. Julie, welcome to the show. And we're going to start out with a question about how does the ADA's Title II integration mandate apply to sheltered employment and day services? Hi, Pam. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. In 1990, the ADA was passed to provide a mandate for the elimination of discrimination against people with disability. And Congress recognized that historically, society has tended to isolate and segregate people with disabilities. The ADA, the American with Disabilities Act, has five titles. And Title II covers state and local government, and it prohibits them from discriminating against people with disabilities. So that means that public entities, state and local government, have to administer sheltered employment and day services in the most integrated setting. And that means people with disabilities interacting with people without disabilities. So when the ADA regulations and the on-said decision from the Supreme Court use the words most integrated setting, what does this really mean? After the ADA was passed in 1990, we had the United States Supreme Court decision Onstead that came down in 1999. And Onstead is the case that said that people with disabilities have the right to live in the most integrated setting. Well, another case, the Lane versus Oregon case, expanded Onstead. And it's said that people with disabilities have the right to work in the most integrated setting. So that phrase, the most integrated setting, has been interpreted by the Department of Justice to mean that it's the setting or environment that enables people with disabilities to interact with non-disabled people to the fullest extent possible whether it be living and or working in the community. Well, research on supported employment services has yielded best practices for ensuring that individuals with disabilities are able to engage in employment in the most integrated setting appropriate. Can you tell us more about what best practices state and local government employment service systems should adopt to ensure that people with disabilities have access to competitive integrated employment? So when talked about integrated employment, which means that people with disabilities are working alongside people without disabilities. Taking it one step further is competitive integrated employment, which means it's a person with a disability working alongside a person without a disability, making minimum wage or greater. And the goal is for people with disabilities to have the same opportunities like everybody else, and that can be promotion, time up, or flexibility in scheduling. And the success of a person with a disability in competitive integrated employment often depends on identifying jobs and services that align with the person's skills, interests, and ability. 
And another best practice would be supported employment services. A supported employment allows people with disabilities to work in typical employment settings where they can interact with non-disabled co-workers, customers, and peers. Supported employment services include things like job coaching, job training, vocational assessments, benefit counseling, and all of these services help people with disabilities find real jobs, making real money in the community. So the bottom line here is that people with disabilities should have the same opportunity to work and earn money and be able to live in the community like anyone else. Absolutely. So if that is our goal, why are so many people with disabilities being placed in segregated employment services? It can be for several reasons. One reason can be that the family wants to make sure that those family members with a disability can be safe. Another reason can be that family may be dependent upon the person with the disability's social security benefit and they don't want to lose those benefits. In Georgia, we currently have six sheltered workshops which are places of segregated employment. And these six workshops are paying 226 people sub-minimum wage. And the way that they are able to do that is because these six employers have what's known as a Section 14 C certificate. Back in 1938, Congress passed the Fair Labor Standards Act, and there was a Section 14C of that act, and it allowed employers to pay people with disabilities some minimum wage. And this practice has continued to this day. And I have been to pretty much all of the sheltered workshops in Georgia. They were mostly in large industrial buildings. The only people working are people with disabilities, and the staff are the people that don't have a disability. And the type of work that they were doing is very piecemeal work. So, for example, one place that I went to, they all were lined up at a table, and they had a stack of textbooks in front of them, and they were tearing the pages out of the textbook to be recycled. And they were just doing this repetitively, all day, every day, every day. Another place that I went to, they had been boxes next to every person, and inside all of the boxes were coat hangers. And they were supposed to be cleaning the coat hanger for a local dry cleaning business who wanted the coat hanger cleaned in between every use. So that's the type of work that goes on in these places. And fortunately, I have seen in Georgia the number of employers who are, who have a 14 state certificate decrease. So that's a good thing, that in Georgia, the number is decreasing. And I know that the federal government is working on ways 
to support the short-term workshop, to transform the service delivery model, to support people with disabilities to work in the community instead of in the workshop, and to make at least minimum wage. So what we're seeing, if I understand correctly, is that people with disabilities are still working in these segregated settings, making less than minimum wage at very boring or mundane jobs and for a variety of reasons. So we want to be able to look at how can we ensure that people in or at risk of being placed in these sheltered worker day services programs have the opportunity to make an informed decisions on whether or not to work in the integrated employment settings. People in congregated and segregated settings like sheltered workshops have often been told that they cannot work and they are sent to sheltered workshops when they leave high school and they may not have been given information about the possibility of working in the community, so they may be hesitant to explore working in the community. And they may also not be aware of the supported employment services that are available to them. In my office, we talk a lot about the rival image. So the rival image of congregated, segregated work is competitive, integrated work. Real job, making real money. So public services should be exposing people to the rival image of segregated work by providing information about the benefits of working in integrated employment settings, the benefits of providing vocational assessment, career planning, job discovery, peer mentoring, facilitating visits to job sites, and providing benefit counseling. An actual a person has been given all of the options, they should be able to make an informed decision about where they want to work. So we really need to make sure that folks have all of the information available to them in order to make that informed decision about where they want to work and how they want to work. Yes. So we've talked about people being at risk and being in sheltered workshops and day services programs, but we also understand there may be a wide range of remedies that are appropriate to address these violations of the ADA's integration mandate. So what remedies address these violations of the ADA's integration mandate in the context of publicly funded employment and day services? The Department of Justice had entered into settlement agreement with different states on this issue. And the types of remedies that they have included are remedies that expand the variety, intensity, and duration of supported employment services. They include remedies that are designed to ensure that people with disabilities who are in segregated settings or who are at risk of segregated studying and who are interested in integrated employment can receive individual services like job discovery and career planning, supported employment, all the things that we've talked about. And also for students starting at age 14 while they are still in school. 
some remedies can be used that include transition planning and pre-employment transition services for students with disabilities who are planning to work at the school. Well, Julie, thank you for this great information so far. We appreciate it so much. Now, ADA Live listening audience, if you have questions about this topic or any other ADA Live topics, you may submit your questions online at www.adalive.org or call the Southeast ADA Center at 404-541-9001. And now a word from our episode sponsor, the Georgia Advocacy Office. The Georgia Advocacy Office, GAO, is the federally funded private nonprofit organization designated by the Governor of Georgia to protect and advocate on behalf of Georgians with disabilities. GAO's mission is to organize our resources and follow our values and legal mandates in ways which substantially increase the number of people who are voluntarily standing beside and for people in Georgia who have significant disabilities and mental illness. GAO envisions a Georgia where all people have value, visibility, and voice, where even the most difficult and long-standing challenges are addressed by ordinary citizens acting voluntarily on behalf of each other, and where the perception of disability is replaced by the recognition of ability. To learn more about the Georgia Advocacy Office, visit their website at thegao.org. Welcome back, everyone. I am Pam Williamson, Assistant Project Director of the Southeast ADA Center. Our guest today is Julie Kegley, Georgia Advocacy Office Staff Attorney and Program Director. Now, Julie, many people with disabilities think the ADA requires an individual with a disability to work in an integrated employment setting or participate in integrated day services. Is this true? No, Pam. People with disabilities may decline to accept a service in the most integrated setting. State and local government are not required to provide community-based services to people who don't want them. On the other hand, state and local governments have no obligation under the ADA to provide services in segregated settings. So this really does come back down to understanding what the options are so a person can make a choice. Is that correct? Yes. A public entity's obligation under the ADA's integration mandate and the Olmstead decision to provide services in the most integrated setting is not unlimited. For example, in instances where a public entity can prove that the requested modification to its programs or services would fundamentally alter the nature of the public entity service system. What is the fundamental alteration defense? What does this mean? That is a defense that state and local government use if they don't want to do something. But state and local government do not have to provide services in the most integrated setting if they can prove that doing so will require a fundamental alteration of its service system. So if they can somehow prove that it will cost too many 
or costing us in resources, then the court may consider that to be a fundamental alteration. Well, Julie, we thank you for the great information you've shared with our listeners on applying the ADA's integration mandate and the Olmstead decision to shelter employment and day services for people with disabilities. Do you have any final thoughts to share with our listening audience? Yes. If you or, or someone that you are supporting wants more information about competitive integrated employment, I encourage you to contact the Protection and Advocacy System in your state because we help people in removing barriers to employment so that they can engage in competitive integrated employment. We believe that people with disabilities should have real jobs, making real money, and we want to help them do that. Well, Julie, we thank you again for joining us today and providing this excellent information. Now, listeners, we also thank you for joining us with this conversation with Julie Kegley, the Georgia Advocacy Office Staff Attorney and Program Director. You can find the recording of this podcast on our website at adalive.org, along with useful resources to learn more about the Disability Rights and the Americans with Disabilities Act. You can access more ADA Live episodes with archived audio, accessible transcripts, and resources on our website at adalive.org. You may also listen to SoundCloud ADA Live channel at soundcloud.com forward slash ADA Live. You may also download ADA Live to your mobile device and your podcast app by searching for ADA Live. If you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, please use the online form anytime at adalive.org or contact your regional ADA center at 800-949-4232. All calls are free and confidential. ADA Live is a program of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and a collaboration with the Disability Inclusive Employment Policy Rehabilitation Research and Training Center. Our producer is Celestia Orazda with Cherie Hoffman, Mary Mortar, Marcia Schwanke, Chase Coleman, and Barry Whaley. Our music is from Four Wheel City, the Movement for Improvement. We also invite you to tune in to our companion podcast, Disability Rights Today, for an in-depth discussions on important court cases that shape disability rights in the Americans with Disabilities Act. Learn more and listen at the website, disabilityrightstoday.org. We look forward to having you on our next episode.